Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Episode number 222 is Thane Marcus Ringler. Hello, Thane. Hey, Dale. Nice to be here with you. Now, mate, you're in, uh, we are just talking about time differences before, you're in Denver, and uh, I love Denver, been there a couple of times, I used to love the Nuggets uh, when Mallow and Iverson was mm. playing there, but probably one of the best ski fields I've ever skied at was Breckenridge. It, mate, how good is that place? Yeah, you know, surprisingly, I haven't been to Breckenridge, but I've been to quite a few here in Colorado, and I've heard a lot of great things about Breckenridge, where I grew up going was Crested Butte, it's a little further south. And it is, uh, honestly, any of the Rockies is just pretty remarkable for getting up there, being in the mountains, being on some great snow, and just having the time of your life. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. And my wife and I have been getting up, trying to get up every week this this year with the Icon Pass. So it's been, I've been loving, I just moved here to Denver in March. So I've been loving being this close to the, the mountains and being able to get up there once a week. Mate, that what a what a place to be! Oh, I absolutely love that. So obviously, it is uh, pretty fresh for you at the moment. Um, and I, I'm guessing you just said you've moved there recently because you're a former pro golfer. Obviously, being mm-hmm. so cold, it's probably not the nicest place to play golf in in winter in Denver, mate. You know, it's surprisingly better than you'd think. I mean, there's really? a lot of people that love golf here. I didn't realize it. There's a lot of people love golf and there's a ton of great golf courses. And to be honest, they do a pretty good job of staying open most of the year. I mean, obviously we get snow through the winter, but it melts pretty fast because it is at such a high elevation. The sun shines more days here than most places in the U.S., which is also surprising. So, I mean, right now it's probably low 50s, a sunny bluebird day. And, um, and you know, if I wasn't talking to you, maybe I'd go try and get some putts and chips in because it's, it's pretty nice out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. I'm taken away from uh, time on the course. So, <laughs> for, for the listeners out there, so former professional golfer, mate, you're probably one of the youngest former professional golfers I've ever spoke to. Um, writer, speaker. Do you want to paint the picture and give the listeners a bit of your background, mate? Yeah, well, you know, that isn't necessarily a compliment being the one of the youngest in the sense that when you're a former, that means it didn't work out as well as you hope usually. Oh, I wasn't going to say that. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I got to own it, man. I mean, I, I played for about four years professionally on different mini tours and overseas on the One Asia Tour, which included uh, the Australian Open in 2015, which is a real uh, fun tournament to play in. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of great opportunities. I had enough talent to be successful at it. I just wasn't able to capitalize on my opportunities and make the most of the talent that I did have. And that's what performance is. It's saying, okay, you can have all the talent in the world, but it, when it comes down to the time when it matters, can you still perform with the best of them? And, and I wasn't able to capitalize in the second half of my career at a, a, a back strain, a, a muscle strain in my left rhomboid that was golf specific and repeated for about a year and a half. Uh, five times off and on. So that was kind of a constant nagging. Am I going to be able to play golf? Am I going to be able to play pain-free golf again? Um, And is this a sustainable career? And and through that time of searching and trying to figure out my body and just not knowing what the best path was, I really sat with the question of who have I been created, equipped, and called to be? And I think this is a really powerful question for all of us in the sense that it's kind of holistic in the sense that created is our natural talents and abilities that we kind of have since birth that we're kind of naturally wired with uh equipped is what are those life experiences you've had given you up to this point um that have been unique to you and have informed your perspective and and your skills that you have now and then 
called is what is that passion, that drive within you that you want to create or bring into the world for the good of others. And, and I think that that holistic approach was just really helpful for me as I sat for several months with that reevaluating whether it was golf or something else. And I just felt called that I felt that I could be more effective outside the world of golf than within it. And that's what ultimately led to me pivoting um, along with the injury and, and not having the success I had hoped for at that point. Um, and in the last three plus years, I've been a journey into entrepreneurship, figuring out ways to make it work and, and becoming a development coach, basically taking the systems and habits and skills I use for myself as a professional golfer and taking them to individuals in their lives, whether it be entrepreneurs or freelancers or business owners, just helping bring more accountability and objectivity into it. And then I've written as well and spoke and host a podcast. So it's been kind of a, a smorgasbord, you could say, of things, but it's been a pretty fun adventure since. Mate, I love that one. Golf's obviously a sport that uh, a lot of people play. I play it. I'm not very good, um, but it's one of the most lonely sports ever. Mm. I feel because um, you're on the golf course by yourself. You're not part of a team. Um, so I can imagine those four years while you're playing, you would have had some extremely high highs, but then also some really low lows. So what were some of the lessons? Obviously, mate, you must be extremely resilient to be able to you know, keep going from tournament to tournament when you're injured. And um, mm. what were some of the lessons or what was that like? Because it yeah. must have been a roller coaster, mate. Well, I love that you point that out because a lot of times when people hear professional athlete in any vein or, or maybe it's performer or actor, or musician and all these glamorous things that we think are um, the dream, they're way less sexy than you imagine. <laughs> and, and it's a lot harder than you could ever imagine. Right. And, and as you mentioned, golf being an individual sport is exceptionally lonely. You don't have a team. You don't have that camaraderie. You do have like a team as in your coaches and, and, and uh, fitness guys and all that, but it's not the same as your teammates, like on a, a basketball team or something like that. So it is a really isolating journey. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned is that we're always better by not doing it alone. My, even in an individual sport, you can find ways to foster community and do it with a group of people. And that will always be better off than by yourself. And I, I chose kind of the lone ranger path. I, I kind of was like, I just want to do my business and, and then do what else, whatever else I want, because I had a lot of different interests. I had this podcast I was doing at the time. Um, and I just felt like I didn't have that much in common with some of the other guys. And so I just decided to be more on my own, try to be more efficient and more responsible with the sponsors I had. And, um, and I really suffered from that. I didn't have as, I was more lonely and isolated because of that. And I think that hurt my results ultimately. So going, looking back, I definitely would have pursued more community uh, because it is available if you pursue it. Um, and then, you know, like you said, the, the reality that there are exceptionally high highs and extremely low lows. Um, I, I think we learn a lot about ourselves from that. And, and really in that journey, just understanding that life has those two for everyone. Um, life is filled with momentum. And, and one of the most important parts about momentum is recognizing where we are in the momentum. If we're in a place where we're at a rock bottom low, we need to have a different approach and mindset than we would if we would on the top of the mountain or if we're climbing or if we're coming down the mountain. So each phase requires its own perspective or mindset or approach. But the first step is always recognizing where am I at in that process? Where am I at in the rhythm and the ebbs and flows? And how can I best apply what I need for that situation or that momentum I'm facing? Mm, I, I love that. And I, I think uh, life is all about connection. And at the end of the day, it's only it's probably like improving your golf swing. The more you put into that, the better connections mm. you have in your life. Um, so 
as the four years are rounding up, I know you said you're injured and so forth like that. How hard was it to sort of let go of that dream? And, um, or was it that you're excited for the future? Because I can imagine your whole life would have been golf. Like, mm. and so how hard was that to sort of say, maybe it's not going to work out and I, I need to move on. It's really hard. I think it's super hard for anyone in that situation. I'm not alone in that, you know, and I, I think what makes it hard is so, so often we attach our identity to what we do instead of who we are. And it's oh, so true. easy for all of us to do that, right? Like us doing podcasts. I'm a podcaster. And if my <laughs> podcast fails, then I am a failure, right? Or if for me, it was, I'm a professional, I'm, a, I'm known as a golfer. That's who I am. And so if I fail at that, or if that ends, or I pick a new path, then I am a failure. I am no longer who I was. And some of that true, but most of that's a lie. Um, and, and so we have to return to the point of like, what is my core identity as a human being? And then what I do is, is on top of that it doesn't affect my identity. It's just a part of what I do, what I get to do in the world. And, and so it really was a process of first addressing to that core identity challenge with myself of coming to terms and rec uh, recognizing that, hey, this fear of failure, this fear of, of shifting and picking a new path or pivoting um, is so based on my identity being wrapped up in the sport. And if I can separate my identity from that, then I have the freedom to do what I feel I really need to. Um, and in that place, it was pivot. And then once I did that work with myself internally, then I, I scaled it by saying, okay, the first week I'm going to tell my, my close family and have those conversations with them. And then the next week I'm going to tell my sponsors and the people on my team and then the next week after that, I'm going to talk to my friends, my close friends and tell them. And then, and then in that process, I was able to space it out to where I was inwardly resolved to what I was doing that regardless of the response of others, what they thought, their opinions, because everyone has opinions. I knew what my identity was and that was clear. And so that allowed me to go through that process, I think, pretty well. Mm, I, just listening to that there, I... I see so many people, particularly with everything we're going through today and at the moment in the world with the pandemic and things like that, that people have lost their identity because, um, you know, being busy or what their title is, that's obviously how they success. You know, that's how they categorize their success or what they mm -hmm. bring to the world. Um, is that something that you've seen as well, mate, with obviously you're speaking, writing and, and the people you're working with? Yeah, it is. You know, I, I think, Anytime we're faced with a global change like this or, or something that affects all, all of us, um, change is a um, unsettling thing, right? It unsettles us. It, it, it makes us question more things. It makes us less certain of what we're doing and who we are. And that's where we have to have a grounding foundation to operate on. And, and, and foundations give us this, in a sense, an anchor to hold steady in the storm, because life will have storms. And this year has exceptionally been a storm for all of us <laughs> in many ways. Um, and so I think you're really right. You know, I think the beauty of it is it shakes us up to recognize, oh, maybe I am placing my identity in this too much. Maybe I'm finding too much of my self-worth in what I'm accomplishing or what I'm trying to achieve or what my job title is or, or how these people view me. And maybe I need to reframe or change my own view of myself and where my value lies so that I can be less affected by these situations I have no control over. So I really view these as opportunities, you know, instead of obstacles, it is definitely an opportunity to, to reevaluate, to self-examine and to come out stronger on the other side. And I, I think the book that I read coming into the year, that was really good timing. I had no idea, but Nassim Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile is a great, it's very long um, and kind of in the weeds, but it's a really great idea that he presents of saying, look, 
we're so concerned about building robust, resilient people, when in reality, we need to go a step further than that. We need to create anti-fragile people, which means people that benefit from chaos, people that benefit from change. They get better. They don't just stay the same. They actually improve. And so that's been a lot of my mindset. I was like, okay, how can I view this as a way for me to grow and improve as a person because it's better for me that way? Uh, and my word, and I don't know if you do words of the year, but I, I like to do a word of the year, kind of as a yeah. resolution, but a simpler, easier thing to hang on to. Um, and my word of the year last year was adventure. And I really like thought that God had an awesome idea for me and that, that I had no idea about. But last year was an adventure. But that simple word of adventure helps us see something with a whole new lens. The second we go from seeing this global pandemic as a crisis and start turning it into an adventure, even though I don't want to make light of it, it's definitely a very dangerous and hard and, and deadly situation. We're in. I'm not making light of it at all, but I'm just saying individually, one of the things we can use is just seeing it as an adventure has helped me say, okay, I can view this as an adventure. Now, how can I embrace that adventure and make the most out of it? Mm, I, I love that. And so do you feel by obviously having that word adventure, because I think that's a great word, by the way, but it's very similar, you know, practicing gratitude. So finding a positive mm -hmm. and negative, changing that mindset, instead of thinking of the things we've lost, instead of thinking on the things we do have, do you feel mm -hmm. adventure is a way of turning something into a challenge or something exciting when it may not be if you look at it normally? Totally. You know, and, and for me coming into the year, I, I didn't really have the, the COVID on, on my mind in the sense that it hadn't really struck yet. But what it was on my mind was the fact that I was getting married in March. And so I knew that going from the season of singleness into the season of marriage was a huge life change. And with that change comes a lot of um, new rhythms, new perspectives, and new focuses at, for me as a man, as being a husband now and not just my own person, and, and operating as a new family. And what does it mean to be a good husband? And how do I embrace that role? And, and then with that, I was moving from LA to Denver. And so I had all this looming, eminent change. And change is always uncomfortable for every human being. I don't care who you are, right? We all are uncomfortable in some ways with it. Um, and so this word adventure coming into the year, I really wanted to put that in front of me so that in those moments where I felt overwhelmed, where I felt like my whole world was changing, that I didn't really have my normals in place in any category, I could see that as a good thing. And that could be a one word reminder to be like, no, let's, let's shift into this. Let's view it positively and let's embrace it and have a blast along the way. And, and so I, I really am grateful for the companion that that word was through all that change. And then with the global pandemic on top of it. Mm, I, I I like that. No, I've never thought of it like that. I, I have like certain things that I want to be more kind or more present or things like mm -hmm. that. But I think when you've got a word that adventure, that's a very open-ended word. You can design that however you want. And really uh, it might be a different adventure for everybody, but I think actually framing that and looking at things differently um, is something that we all need to do because the world's changed. It's not going to go mm -hmm. back. And if you want to keep, thinking of the negative, no dramas, but let's use an adventure because there's been so many amazing things that have happened of this, you know, like so many different podcasts have made and different connections because people have more time now virtually. Have you found that with your business and um, obviously speaking and things that because people have slowed down um, that you've had more opportunity? Yeah, you know, it is, it's interesting in that it's kind of a both and, right? It's, it's both yes and no in many ways in the sense that, um, there is more opportunity to innovate and create and, and be um, to, to really 
do the necessary change that we know we all need to do, but usually we put off doing because it's maybe not as essential. But but when we're faced with a, a period of time like this, when the normal paradigms of business are flipped on their head, we have to get more creative if we're going to survive. And, and that's a really great forced limitation, right? To say, okay, if you don't continue to innovate, you're going to no longer exist. Um, so it has been good in that sense. And in the other sense, you know, a big part of my business and what I do is built on relationships. And so in this time, I think we've all been uh, weighed down. I know I have, I know my wife and I have been, I feel Definitely. like we all have been weighed down, right? And, and relationally, that's where it takes the biggest hit because when we feel weighed down, we're less able to give um, and support others when we need to give and support ourselves first. And, and so, and we have less people giving and supporting us, right? In a relationship based sense. And so uh, I think that it's been hard this season because what I like to do is the work that I do is based on relationships usually. And so um, having less opportunity to develop relationships because virtual isn't quite the same as in person and people are just more emotionally weighed down has been a challenge for sure. And I'm excited for a renewed vigor for all of us to embrace uh, relationships and living with people in community because that's what makes life meaningful. Mm, uh, so true. And one thing that I've noticed, particularly all around the world when the first pandemic hit, that uh, sports stopped. Do you know what I mean? And I think sports the greatest connector of people. It gives people mm -hmm. a purpose, fosters relationships. That's how we grow, we interact, everything like that. Um, I feel sports is a, a really good definition of, you know, what life is all about. So mm. how do you think sport teaches us about life? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so such a great topic because I, my, the first book I wrote was really centered around this topic. It's called from here to there. And it was a quarter life perspective on the path to mastery based on my experiences playing golf and how that taught me about life and how that made me a better person in life. And, and sports are such an amazing arena because especially as kids, you know, we don't want our parents or adults to tell us what to do, right? That's often not what we want as kids. We're pretty rebellious and prideful and ignorant. And we're like, I know what to do. Don't tell me, right? But sports are unique in that we want to get better at sports. So we're open to instruction and coaching and feedback in ways that we wouldn't be in normal life. And so this realm of sports allows us to develop as individuals, especially at younger ages than we would otherwise, because it's, it feels like it's not life, but it's teaching us the principles that we need to know in life. Um, and we, we enjoy it when we get better at it. And so we're already intrinsically motivated to do it. Um, so that's why I think sports really are a great arena for any type of development, whether it be um, children developing or even personal development as adults, and especially golf, because it is an individual sports where every single shot you hit gives you instantaneous feedback. And especially the higher up you get, the more it becomes about your mind. And 95% and of it at the professional level is your mental game. And so every single shot, I get a feedback of, okay, this thought or this preparation or this feeling was before the shot or before the swing. And here's the result that it produced. And then I can break down and understand what, what led to that thought, what did it produce and whether that's favorable or unfavorable, and then try to work on improving that in the future. And so every, when you have 70 plus shots, each time you're out there on the course that you get to learn from, that's a whole lot of feedback every single day. And that's a pretty great catalyst for growth. 
And uh, if you certain people might have 120 shots, so that's even <laughs> that's even True. a little bit more. There, there could be a lot of lot of feedback <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, so well, one thing I think of as sort of eight is that it teaches us discipline, and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're at the elite level, professional, or at grassroots. That um, you're a part of something, you need to train, you need to show up, and um, you need to be accountable. If it's an individual sport or a team sport, is that something? Obviously, your discipline must have been intense, but um, is that something that you found through sport that it, discipline is a must and then that flows into everyone else's everyday life? 100%. I think discipline is integral to living a good life for any human being on this planet, period. So yes, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I over the last three years of being outside of the professional golf world and working with just normal individuals and, and business folk and in their lives is I've really realized that a lot of what I think is important for a good foundation for a human being and leading and becoming a leader is leading yourself well first. And so in order to lead yourself well, what what goes into that? What components make up that? And I think the two key components that are the foundation of leading yourself well, becoming a good self-leader are discipline and self-awareness. And if we can grow in those two areas, we will inevitably become a good leader of ourselves because that's what it requires. You know, life isn't going to magically attach itself to your vision, your purpose, your identity, your beliefs, your desires, your motivations, right? You have to swim upstream to accomplish things. You don't default into success. You don't default into a purpose-driven life. You have to create that and and. Uh, live attached to that. So if our default, and then we all know this, right? As humans, our default is to take the path of least resistance. So it's like water going down a river. If there's a rock in the way, it's going to go around. It's not going to go through the rock. It's going to find a way around it and keep going downstream. Now, if we want to go upstream, we have to have effort and intention. That means we have to put some rows into it, right? We have to row the boat to go upstream. And we also have to have a compelling enough reason why to keep doing it long enough to actually make progress. And so with effort and intention, that's what discipline is. When you combine those two things, that's discipline saying, I'm going to go the path of most resistance because it's worth it. And I know that takes work and I'm going to embrace that discipline so that I can achieve the goals I want to accomplish and live the life of purpose that I feel called to. Um, and we all benefit from that, but it, it takes work and no one's immune to it. We all have to go through that process. Mm, and why are you saying that? I, I totally agree with that. And this time of year, there's you know, a lot of people have set an intention or a New Year's resolution. And exactly what you just said, that comes down to discipline. And a lot of people probably don't have that intention and the focus to keep that going throughout the year. Um, what might be some advice for people that are not self-aware enough to be able to continue doing that? Yeah, you know, I think it starts with an understanding of discipline and understanding why we are somewhat averse to discipline. I I think it begins with this idea that for most of us, discipline has a negative connotation, largely because as kids, discipline was a negative term, right? Mm -hmm. When we're kids and we're disciplined, it's a consequence and it's something that's not what we want. And so we get this negative, almost subconscious feeling around the word discipline that even lasts up to our adult years that that keeps us kind of like, uh, I don't know if I really want to be disciplined. It sounds great, but I just don't think I can do it, you know? But, but really that aversion, I think, comes from some of those childhood roots. And if we can understand that and recognize that, like, oh, no, actually, it's a really good thing. It's a really important, beautiful part of life. And without discipline, we won't be able to unlock our true freedom, our full freedom. And, and I think that's the second part of it, is understanding that discipline equals freedom, as Jocko Willink says. I, I love that he coined that phrase because it's what it, it produces freedom in us. And 
if you think about things like a, a picture, a picture can only be a picture or a painting can only be a painting with a frame that it goes on, right? It has to have a structure within it, which it can be anything at once. It can be abstract. It can be, uh, you know, barely uh, intelligible. It can be beautiful. It can be really precise. It can be all these things. There's full freedom of expression within the context of the frame. Without the frame, there is no painting. There's just color here and there's a wall, you know, even a wall, it has structure to it. So structure is the thing that allows a full freedom within it to, to be expressed. And discipline is that structure for our lives that allows a fullness of our giftings and abilities to be expressed in the most beautiful way. Oh, that is powerful. And I like the, uh, the artistic sort of, uh, quote there that you've come up with there Thane. I think that's uh, I think people can relate to that and when you look at art and it's beautiful there's so many working pieces that goes into that and and that really comes down to discipline that um, it's not just one facet and it's about showing up and continuing to do that so obviously people are really loving this now mate the up and comers podcast um, let's talk about that give yourself a little bit of a plug because um, I'm really enjoying the content you're rolling out today and I can guarantee my listeners are as well Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a really fun journey. As you know, being a podcaster, it's just a joy to connect with people, to hear from their stories. It's kind of like your own um, mini MBA of learning from all these people and their experiences and their perspectives. Um, It's such a joy to sit down and have those interviews and discussions, but it also makes us a really better, it makes us a better thinker, right? The more that we talk about things, the better we think about things and the more we have questions about things. And, and, and also podcasting helps you become a good question asker and listener, hopefully, because, Mm. you know, we've all heard podcasts where it's just the same uh, sequence of questions don't listen to any of the answers given. And it's so boring, right? It fills a niche and some people find value in that. But most of the time, it's just crossing off a checklist, right? And, and really engaging interviews, as you know, it, it requires listening to what's being said and responding in a curious way. And, and I think those are the best, those are most fun for me to do when I come on as well. And, and I want that for whoever comes on the Up and Comer show as well, because um, that's what creates really interesting, meaningful conversations. And, you know, we're all on this journey of trying to live a good life and figure out what that means and live with intention. And that's what our show is about. And it seems like what your show is about. And, and, you know, we need each other to do that. We can't do it alone. Mm, I, I love that. And uh, over the last four and a half years or whatever of doing this podcast, my listening has got so much better. And as, as you yeah. said, that's not just on a podcast that's related into every asset of my life now. And um, it really does come back to, uh, and if I'm sure if you're the same, you go back and listen to coming to your first podcast episodes, that will make me cringe. And I, I actually feel sick. But again, that's it's growth, isn't it? That we've got to start somewhere. Yeah. And is that sort of um, another sort of area that you give feedback or you just tell people you've just got to start? Um, there's no right or wrong time to commit to something or pulling the trigger and get it yeah. going. Like you've just got to start somewhere and it may not be pretty, but the only way to do it is by actually taking action and you learn as you go. Yeah. You know, and back to this idea of discipline, I think it ties in well that discipline comes in smaller steps than you think, meaning it doesn't come in massive leaps. It doesn't come in, um, you know, skipping to the 10th step and arriving at a destination sooner. It comes by committing to taking a baby step daily. And we can all take a small step every single day. And when we do that and we commit to that over a long period of time, it creates a lot of growth and um, a lot of 
um, things that we wouldn't have expected or planned for. And we couldn't have because we can't foresee the future. So it's the same thing with podcasting, right? Like I'm the same way. If I listen, I'm, I don't really want to go back and listen. I haven't in a couple of years, I haven't heard um, what those <laughs> first it. ones. I mean, I, I think it's been four and a half years as well. So we probably started around the same time and I do not want to hear those early episodes. I just it's don't, um, even it's though sometimes it's good for, you know, encouragement of like, man, I've come a long ways, you know, but it's, it's just painful. Um, so yes, you're 100% right. Just if, if you feel like it's worth doing, it probably will be. Just take the step and start. Do the best you can. Don't expect more of yourself than you should. Because a lot of times we think, if I'm not going to be the next Tim Ferriss, then I can't start this. Well, guess what? Your name isn't Tim Ferriss. So you're not going to be the next Tim Ferriss. <laughs> and you know what? He started somewhere too. So you just need to start where you are and do the best you can. And you will learn and you will grow and something will happen from it. And yeah. you get to choose what you do with that. Yeah, that's so true. And that's not just podcasting. I think that's in any aspect of your life that you need to start and you need to keep showing up um, and it, it will it'll be a rocky ride and no one will probably listen and um, it doesn't matter, but that yeah. consistency is routine and that's where your discipline comes and that'll flow into every area of your life. So then you've got books, you've got podcasts, you've got online courses. Where can people find you? Is there one avenue that you've just got these gigantic resources on? Yeah. Oh, man. And yeah, thanemarcus.com is my headquarters. So that's kind of where I, I house everything. <laughs> Anything you're interested in, you can find it there. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. It's like, I, I never set out seven, eight years ago when I began my professional golf career, I never set out to do any of this. Um, but because I decided to take that step of pursuing a professional golf career and doing the best I could at that, that prepared me for what came next, which was writing the books, which was starting to speak, which was doing the podcasts and coaching people and now having these online courses. And that doesn't happen in overnight, in a month, in a year, it happens over years of time, just being faithful to take that next step. So if I can encourage anyone, I am still trying to take that next step daily. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Mm, I love that. And I think we all are. It doesn't matter if you see people on a different platform or they've got a bigger voice. It's because they've been taking that cons that step consistently each day. They've been showing up um, and the highs and lows. You may see where they are now, but the road to get there, you don't see that. So um, if yeah. you are listening and particularly every year is a good opportunity to start something new, then just take that step, start going, be consistent, show up. Um, and if it doesn't work, you'll learn from it. And the next time you'll go bigger and better. So adventure was your word last year, Dane. What, I'm curious, 2021, what, what are you rolling around this year? Are you happy to share that? Yes, it is. Uh, it came together in the last couple of days. So this is good timing. You know, the timing. word for this year um, is deepen. And deepen, you know, again, like we talked about earlier, the words of the year are great because you can have an idea of what it means at the start, but it will inevitably shift and change throughout a year because a year is a long time. Um, and so the beautiful thing about a word is it's simple enough to hold on to, but it's it's broad enough to change and shift as the year goes. And as I see it now, I really want to deepen my roots um, relationally here in Denver as things start to open up more, just build more community. I want to deepen uh, my marriage as a husband and being a good partner to my wife. I want to deepen my faith with God. I want to deepen uh, my ability uh, to bring value to people in the work I do um, and just uh, and really deepen my connection to uh, the people around me uh, and seeing the needs that are right in front of me and not being um, swept away by my to-do list or calendar. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of the initial uh, pulse with it, but I'm excited to see how it'll shift. 
I, I like that. And I think if you are listening to that, it probably be you want to become more present in all those areas of your life. And I suppose deep and present, it's the same thing. Do you know what I mean? That um, the past is gone. The future will take care of itself. But if you can be invested in everything you're doing day to day, relationships, your work, your friends, your family connections, um, it's going to really pay off. So love that word. Now, before I let you go, uh, a hole in one, mate, have you obviously, have you ever got a hole in one? I have. Oh, yeah, it was actually. What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> what was well, the feeling it was like? Pretty, it was pretty crazy. So it was actually in high school um, at the local golf course. I grew up in Kansas. It was a smaller public course there. And we were playing practice with the high school team. It was a qualifying round, I think, actually. And uh, I it was a par four. <laughs> and it was a shorter, yeah, it was a shorter par four. So like 310 yards, pretty straightforward. And I just remember hitting a good tee shot. Um, and, you know, we see the ball go towards the green and just think, great, you know, maybe I'll be around the green. Thought maybe I'll be a little bit long because I hit it really well and there might have been a little wind. Um, but I walk up there and we, we, we can't see the ball anywhere. And we start looking for like three to five minutes to try and find it. And then finally, one of my teammates, Sam, goes into goes and looks at the hole. And he's like, uh, I think it's in here. <laughs> and um, and there it was. So hole in one on a par four when I was in high school. I, I didn't get the joy of seeing it go in, but it's still a pretty cool uh, accomplishment, I guess. Right, so that that's your only one in, on a par four? That one. And then I, when I was younger, I was playing with my dad at Prairie Dunes Country Club, one of the best courses in America. And I, I got the, the privilege of growing up there. It's just a gem. But 15 is a par three called the shoot. And my dad just got a hybrid, a new hybrid, the Nike CPR. And this was like, you know, this was quite a ways a while ago. I was probably 13 <laughs> or 12. And I said, I hit my tee shot and I was like, dad, I want to try your new club. Can I try it? So he, he let me hand it to me. I dropped a second ball down and I hit it in the hole. And the guys, the guys on the tee box watched the ball go in and start going crazy. And I'm over here like pissed because I know it doesn't really count. You know, <laughs> it's like the worst feeling. <laughs> Still, you've done that pretty impressively at young ages. Um, I couldn't imagine what that feeling would be like of hitting the ball in a hole. It actually do it. It's incredible. Um, so on this uh, on the show notes, guys, 222, I'll have links. Uh, Thane's website, everything is done. No videos of the hole in one, but, uh, mate, hopefully one day you can get one on a par three like normal people, not on a par yes. four albatross. That, that's bloody impressive. It's wild. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't take full credit for, it. you know, I love a quote. I can't, I'm not going to do it justice, but you know, man takes credit um, for things like a hole in one, but blames fate for everything else. And it's pretty hilarious how that should be flipped around, you know, like the really to take credit for a hole in one is, is kind of um, uh, foolish because really you just do the best you can. And if it ends up in the hole, then you just kind of got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, at the end of the day, and I think you've got to uh, put the ball on the tee and hit it to have an opportunity at a hole-in-one. And I think that relates back to, really, if we're going to summarise what we've spoken about today, um, if you're not even stepping up to hit that ball at the hole, uh, maybe think about what that is for 2021 and um, put those things into place. Now, have we missed anything, Dane? Is there anything you want to add before we wrap this epic uh, podcast up? This has been a lot of fun, Dale. You did a great job. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is my rally cry uh, for what I'm doing and what I'm trying to bring into the world and for anyone listening is that for all of us to take ownership, which means of our thoughts, actions, behaviors, take full ownership, responsibility for that because no one else will and we aren't going to grow if we don't and never settle, never settle for less than you're capable of. That's a daily choice. Um, and the default path doesn't lead us where we want to go. So take ownership and never settle. That's the rally cry. 
Boom. And what a way to finish, Saint. Thanks so much for your time, great man. It's been an absolute blast. Thanks, Dale.